Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You may be seated. You've probably heard these words, or perhaps even they are your favorites among the Bible passages that you have read in your life. Those words from Ephesians chapter 2. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. You know, those words, as I told you, go along very well with the words from St. Paul from 1 Corinthians. Here, I'll let me read them to you. He said, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. St. Paul gives us what is most important. That the word of God must be preached. The hymn you just sang made that same claim. To go into all the lands the Lord would not have the sinners die, but that they be repentant. That the word of God must go forth. They must preach it. The ministers, which are God's humble instruments, must bring the good news of Jesus Christ. His victory over sin in his crucifixion. His victory over death in the resurrection rending the devil powerless. St. Paul goes on in those words from 1 Corinthians there, that first epistle to the church in Corinth. He says, which you received. He left there confident that they had received the saving gospel and they, they were going to keep it in their hearts, on their minds and in their mouths. He says, in which you stand. That not only did they receive it, but that was their foundation for life. Being saved by grace, they would not move off that rock that was the core of their life. Remember the words of St. Peter saying, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God, and Jesus turned to him and said, Peter, on this rock I shall build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That confession of Christ as the anointed one, the Messiah who comes to bring forgiveness, that is our rock. We stand on the rock of Christ, and we shall not be moved. St. Paul goes on to say, and by which you are being saved. That this gospel message is powerful. The word of God is living and active. It does something to us. And this gospel message which is preached to us, which St. Paul preached to the Corinthians, which they received in their hearts, they stood upon, is the same gospel that is saving them. For by grace you have been saved. The gospel must be received In faith, that is the work of the Spirit. The preached gospel must be what the Christian stands on. The preached gospel is what saves those who hear it. And those who do not hear it cannot be saved. 
You heard that again, through faith. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Let me read to you a word from Romans, which I know I've given to you multiple times, but hear it yet again. From Romans chapter 10, the word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Later he goes on to say, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. We know that faith comes to us through the preached word of God, but not all have obeyed the gospel. Not all have received it and joyously given thanks to the Lord. In fact, St. Paul gives such a warning in those words which I read to you. If you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. You don't just get to hear the word and drop it and leave it. It's the word that you receive. It's the word you stand on. It's the word your life is centered around because it is the same word that saves you. That is something we hold close to ourselves. There are some that have come into the habit of not meeting together with us to hear this blessed word. There are some who take it lightly to receive this, as if it's just a token or a symbol of their devotion to God. They don't realize how much they need it. The importance of what God is giving each and every Sunday in this divine service. There's no part of this service that I would feel comfortable leaving out. You need confession and absolution. You need the reading of God's word. You need the prayers. And you need the sacrament. This whole service is God serving you. But how quickly did we find out how much the church really values this important gift of the divine service. We quickly found out when this pandemic quit, uh, uh, hit us how many Christians were willing to close their churches left and right. How did we miss the devil sowing fear into our hearts where God once reigned triumphant and made us fearless? How did we miss this idea that it became acceptable to fear God giving his grace. Let me say that again. How often did we consider this, that the world was teaching us 
to fear God giving us his grace? When did it become acceptable to give up hearing God's word when we were looking death in the face? Because whether it's in the midst of the COVID pandemic or not, whether it's in the midst of sickness or health, living or dying, war or peace, faith will die without the word of God. It cannot sustain itself. Faith must have God's word or it shrivels up like a withering plant left in the sun without much water. It was quite a visual experiment this past week. We had watered these plants that sit on these stairs up here multiple times. And I'll tell you what, yesterday I came out there and again the sun had wilted the ones that were there. Diane knows she watered them. Joni came in and watered them. I watered them. And thank God that I watered them yesterday about four hours before I came up and preached. And you want to know what happened when water hit that plant? Within three hours, a plant that was laying flat perked up and looked like it had just received the best gift of its life. You see, faith is like that. It needs water, not just a little bit of water, but an abundance of water. And you can't get that without Jesus. Jesus is the wellspring of life. He is where we draw our water from He, the one who said, come unto me all who thirst. Right? And the one who drinks from Christ will never be thirsty again. So I want you, if you're so bold enough, find me the verse in the Bible that tells us, the church, to run away from God and his grace and his forgiveness, the hearing of his word, and the bringing of the sacrament when death is in front of us. Show me where God tells the church to fear him giving his grace. Show me in the Bible where we are to fear death. I couldn't find it. In fact, I think I found the opposite, where we find that as these things come, when Jesus warns of the coming of wars, the rumors of wars, when the mountains are falling into the sea, when the whole creation of God is erupting, the final day is approaching. That's when we draw closer. That's when we need to hear it even more. Because our eyes would betray us to fear. But God tells us not to fear. Now there was a quote attributed to Martin Luther. I've yet to verify it. And maybe I'll work on it this week. But nonetheless, I think it remains true. Someone came to a pastor, maybe Martin Luther, maybe someone else. And they said, Pastor, why is it that week after week after week, all you ever preach to us is the gospel? That young member, I assume, was implying that we're ready to move on to something else, something more. God, give, you know, Pastor, give us something more. We know the gospel by now. But this pastor's response was this 
Well, it is because week after week you forget it. Because week after week you walk in here looking like a people who don't believe the gospel. And until you walk in looking like people who are truly liberated by the truth of the gospel, I'm going to continue to preach it to you. And it was said until this pastor's dying breath, he did. This pandemic has embarrassed the good name of Christians the good name of Christian that we carry with us. Because we showed the world that we looked like a people who did not believe the gospel. A people who did not believe in the resurrection of the dead and the life eternal. We did not look like we were strangers in this world and passing through it, but we looked like this was our residency and this our home. We quickly gave up living in freedom for living in fear of death. But that's not what God teaches us. You see, it all comes into play when we start to look again at our gospel. When we go through that phrase, this this verse, for by grace you have been saved through faith, that is not of yourselves. And this is what we see when we look at the Pharisee in our text for today. He says... This prayer as if he's looking in a mirror with a reflection of his outward deeds, how he was living in this life. This outward appearance was good in eyes of the world. He would have been a respectable man. We know this. But that Pharisee refused to look inwardly at his heart. For in the heart one will find those evil thoughts. The thoughts to think of God as if he did not conquer. That if he does not reign. In the heart, one will find the murder, the adultery, the sexual immorality, the theft, the false witness, and the slander. Those are Jesus' words, not mine. But the Pharisee refused to look in his heart, and so he prayed a prayer that was out of arrogance, boasting in his works. But the tax collector went to the same place, learned, had learned the same religion, And that tax collector sees not only his disgusting outward appearance and his behavior which betrays the faith, but in his inward, in his heart, he sees that which brought him such behavior. He literally prays to God, remove your anger from me, be gracious to me for the sake of Jesus' blood. The tax collector was praying for the blood of Christ to cover him. He prayed to the Lord to propitiate him, to remove his sin, and to remove sin is to remove God's wrath, his anger over us. The tax collector, he knew what he had earned in this life. Not one good thing. He could not put anything before the Lord and said, this is good, this is what I've earned. No, he fell down face to the ground, just praying the Lord didn't smite him there. You and I have earned a lot in this life. Those could look at most people in this church and maybe if they were to go back to your house, they were to see your car, they were to see where you live and every possession that you have, they say, wow, you did, you did great in this life. You did, you did better, better than most. 
And then they may look at your deeds, your works, and say, well, you guys are pretty upstanding people. That's, that's wonderful. But those are not the things that we trust in. Not of ourselves, Ephesians 2 says. Because we know what we have merited. We know what we have earned if we turn to our works. We've earned a place in the ground from which we were created. We've earned a place with the devil and the angels by our works. And we've done one hell of a job in earning an eternal prize of damnation. That's what we've earned by our works. So whoever's ready to cash that in with God, may God help you. That's not what we want to cash in. That's not what we're asking God to give it. We're asking as Christians in humility and faith, crying out, Oh, please, God, do not give me what I have earned of myself. Propitiate me. Wash me in the crimson flood of Christ's blood. Clothe my nakedness, my guilt, and my shame with Jesus' robe of righteousness. I plead for your mercy and not my wages or recognition of my work. Forget what I have done. Forget what I have done in transgressing your will and remember for my sake the work of your Son, Jesus Christ. That's the prayer of a Christian. That's the only thing that can bring us comfort as we pass through this life. Knowing that God receives us in mercy. Should do a better job of that of remembering not the good of people in this life, but their faithfulness in confessing the true faith. I'm not talking about uh, this past week with Edna. We know that she was a faithful Christian and I proclaimed as much as her at her funeral. But you consider it when you come together and when somebody has died, you, you remember people as they have died. And I promise you this, when, I, when I'm in conversations with people who are remembering their, the, the folks that have died, I'm not telling you a lie when I hear more about how this person was good than whether or not they were faithful and believed the gospel. I love hearing stories of fathers who are faithful fathers and who love their children and teach them the gospel and bring them to church. I love to hear the other stories too, but... When you're trying to tell your pastor how I should also love your father or your grandfather and what a magnificent person he was, tell me what is of first importance. Tell me what St. Paul said. He said, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. I'll tell you what, the same goes for even me. I don't want to be known as a good pastor. Forget being good, that comes later. I'd rather be known as a faithful pastor. Right? That's more important. Having a pastor who preaches you the good news. 
who visits you when you're sick and delivers that good news, the thing that is of first importance. The good comes from a tree that is good, one that is faithful. We should be thinking of our faithfulness, repentant of our sins, the ones receiving the good news because of how important it is. Because when people speak of dearly departed family and friends who were good but not faithful, they are trying to give a comfort which is false. It's a great lie from the devil, a lie to comfort not only their anxious and grieving hearts and their minds, but it also is to comfort them in their life apart from Christ. We must consider, as a Christian, a posture of humility, not only in confessing our sins, but also in boldly standing on the gospel that we hear. If one denies to hear the word, and they will not have faith to confess it. The one who denies that which is the first importance to the Christian life is also to deny Christ, and that one has no faith. I tell you, as I was reading in Revelation, this verse came to mind. The Lord says of those who are lukewarm, he says, So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say I am rich and I have prospered and I need nothing, not realizing that you are a wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich, and white garments so that you may, be clothed, so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. This is the difference between the Christians who are hearing and those who are claiming to be Christians but not hearing the word. They are lukewarm, and on the last, the Lord will spit them out of his mouth. God is proclaiming to us the good news. He is saying, buy this, the gold that I am giving you. It is refined with prayer. It is the purity of faith. Trust my word and you will be rich. You will have the white garments to clothe your shame and your nakedness. And your eyes will no longer be blind, but you will see the truth. The truth will set you free. Your riches are stored with God. You have been saved by grace through faith. Not of yourselves It is the gift of God. That gold refined with fire, the richness which the Lord gives, the white garments that he has clothed you with in baptism to cover your shame and your nakedness, and that oil which he anoints you with, it brings to you clearness of sight. It is a gift of God. No one can work for this precious gift that Christ offers to us at his altar. No one can buy a word from the Holy Spirit to set them right or to justify them. No one can purchase their ticket into heaven by giving money to the church. And that's what we're seeing nowadays. People's names on rosters of the church and they back their name with money given to the church every month. But they refuse to hear the word of God. That is not faith. 
You cannot buy your way to heaven. You are the Pharisee if you think the money behind your name and the offering plate is your ticket to heaven. For it is God who justifies. It is God who regenerates the man by giving to him the word. The word in the baptism, word in the sacrament. It's not of works. It's not any part of ourselves. The Pharisee boasted of his works, implying that they were righteous, but they weren't righteous. They were self-serving and phony. The money that he gave to the church, I'm sure the church loved it. But he did not leave that temple justified. It was the tax collector. The tax collector proves to us that our salvation is not by works. It's not of ourselves. For he confessed the truth. He was unworthy. He was undeserving. He confessed that he knew God was angry with him. He confessed his terror over sin. And that should be the terror over death itself. And so he threw his body down before the Lord and pleaded for mercy. And God removed his anger. God was gracious to him for the sake of Jesus' blood. That is the parable Jesus tells us. The mercy that the tax collector receives is the result of Christ's bloody sacrifice on the cross. Faith comes through the preached word, the word of the gospel. And it is the gospel which saves us, which gives to us the righteousness of Christ and frees us from sin and death. It all must be a work of God, lest any one of us should boast of it. That is, boast of having done it ourselves. We cannot boast of our own works, but I hope that when you leave here today, you boast of Christ. Boast of Christ. Boast of Christ's work. That is what we are doing when we share with the world what is the first importance in our lives with those around us, within our places, first in our homes, and then our jobs and our communities. When we share that which is the first importance, and let me share it with you one more time, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with Scripture, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according with Scripture. That is of first importance because that is the story of our salvation. You will not get to heaven unless you are proud and arrogant in Christ, not in yourself. But we boast in Christ and his work. We should boldly rely and rest on that Christian discipline of knowing Christ and finding ourselves sitting before his feet, hearing the word, bringing our children to the font, our friends and adults to the font, and raising them in the true faith so that they would receive that blessed sacrament worthily. Whoever in this life glorifies anything else or is proud of anything else other than what Christ has done for them, is arrogant. 
They are glorifying themselves. And they will not receive that which Christ gives. The one who is arrogant in Christ, who is bold in Christ, and in what God has done, proclaims nothing more than the gospel, the good news of salvation. And as we learned, the gospel that is preached, which we receive, which we stand in, is the same gospel by which we are being saved. For we are saved by grace through faith, not of ourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. In Jesus' name, amen. Now may the peace of God, which surpasses all our understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, our Lord.